Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please, please, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. So I'm sitting here right now. The Boston Bruins are up 5-0 over the Carolina Hurricanes. Can we say smash? I mean, I thought Carolina would compete a little bit more in this series, but I'll give the Boston Bruins a lot of credit. They've come to play. They've played well, and I see them going to the Stanley Cup Finals. You know who's not going to go to the Stanley Cup Finals? The Colorado Avalanche. And I appreciate everybody that called me out on that last episode when I was like, hey, the Colorado Avalanche made it to the next round. I don't know why I said that. I knew they didn't. I knew it was the St. Louis Blues versus the San Jose Sharks and that I was kind of rooting for the San Jose Sharks. So forgive me for that. But I do appreciate all the text messages, IMs and uh, tweets I got saying, hey, uh, you know that Colorado's no longer in it. What do you want from me? I recorded that thing at like 4 a.m. before I went to work. Give me a break, right? Anyways, want to thank Brett Harkins again for coming on last week. His Boston Bruins right now are in the driver's seat and really in a good situation. They're smashing the Carolina Hurricanes. I got to give Bruce Cassidy credit. You know, he started off with the Washington Capitals, coached there for a year or two, and then it was, and it looks like Boston just stored again. That was my wife yelling. She's from Boston. As I was saying before I was interrupted, Bruce Cassidy was coaching for Washington. It was a debacle. It was a nightmare. The players hated him. I don't even think he lasted more than a season. I thought this guy would never coach in the NHL again. Give him a lot of credit. He worked hard. He stuck with it. He believed in himself. And now he's possibly getting ready to coach a team that's going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. So hats off to Bruce Cassidy. And speaking of never giving up, this week's guest, I was so excited to interview, and he didn't disappoint, Roman Vopot came on the podcast, interviewed him. It was about an hour-long interview. We chatted, and his story's phenomenal. He actually followed us on Twitter, so I wanted to get him on the show. I asked him if I could interview him, and I started reviewing everything and what I wanted to do, and he was actually traded four times in a span of about 20 days, so like three weeks. He was in four different cities, and he kept going. And I think Roman kind of got a bad rap. If you go back and you read some of the newspapers, it seems like people were constantly criticizing him for his play or saying he was a disappointment because he was traded for Wayne Gretzky and didn't really turn out the way that a lot of people had hoped or thought he might. Yeah, that's right. I said he was part of the Wayne Gretzky trade between the LA Kings and the St. Louis Blues. And when you hear this interview, you'll kind of understand the pressure he was under. And he does a really good job of bringing you along for the ride and and kind of letting you know what he was thinking about. And it really was was eye-opening to me because, of course, we all see everything on TV. We see the statistics. We see the hockey. But outside of it, we don't see the mental side of it. And all this was happening while he was 19 years old in a country that he's not from, not even a continent that he's from. 
So I was really glad that I had the opportunity to interview Roman. I think everybody will really enjoy this one. Please go ahead and share it on Facebook and on social media if you have a chance and you enjoy the interview. I'd really like to spread his story around there. And uh, so during part one of the interview, we go ahead and review the four trades that took place over a 21-day period. And then during part two, we actually pick up with the Philadelphia Flyers, which is where he wound up, and talk more about the remaining part of their season once he joined the team. So we're going to go ahead and cut to that. Please enjoy this interview, and we will see you on the flip side of the interview. The 98-99 season for you was a whirlwind, and according to the LA Times, you were with the Kings. The team was planning on keeping 15 forwards, according to the article, and it came down to rookie Josh Green, Ole Jokin, and Dan Balsam, and yourself fighting for the final two spots. And how did you feel you performed during training camp that year? Because you had been with the Kings a little bit before, so you're no stranger to the team, but you kind of really hadn't really settled in yet. Do you think that's fair to say? Mm, Yeah, pretty much. You know, um... Looking back, I don't think I had the greatest training camp, but I don't think I was the worst out of them all. But that's being said, um, you know, for being traded for one of the best players in the world, it kind of put too much pressure on 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 me, and I put too much pressure on myself. And that really never been in uh, you know goal scorer, hundred point guy in the junior. Uh, it was kind of unfair to me to uh, to expect something that I couldn't deliver. So maybe the organization was, you know, because they make that trade, so they kind of look, they were maybe looking for something else from me that I honestly couldn't deliver. So, yeah, you know, you know what, I, I made some mistakes over the years, and I, I didn't, I didn't thought I had the bad camp, but. It was in a mix, like you said, with uh, Greener and uh, Danny Bilesma. You know, Danny Bilesma was a more experienced guy. He played in uh, Bowling Green in college. Uh, he, he was uh, one of the best penalty killer in the league. So it was for the final spot. It was, you know, it was a, it was a tough, tough fight. So unfortunately, I don't, know, I don't really recall if I made it or not. But um, no, it was definitely tough. Well, you did make it coming out of camp. You got one of the last spots. But unfortunately, you were scratched for one of the, the first opening game. But before we kind of touch on that, going back to what you said, the, the trade that you're referring to, of course, was the Wayne Gretzky trade. And I never even thought about that. When you got traded for one of the greatest players in the world as part of that combination, what kind of pressure did you put on yourself? I mean, I can understand the team saying, look, we gave up a huge asset to acquire you. But what does that do to you? Like, I, I never even thought about that. You know, when when you read the article and it says, you know, the key guys were Craig Johnson and Roman Wolpat, I was like, why, why, why me? You know, I I played junior for a year and a half. I came from Europe, uh, so I have to adapt the style of play. And really, like I said, you got traded for the best player. So what what are what are your organization expectations? What uh, what do they expect from you? And again, you're you're 19 years old, and you know you make a certain amount of money, and you play in, in Los Angeles, the best best city in the United States. So it was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on me, and and I was young, I didn't know how to handle it, and that eventually would be Achilles tendon for me. So um, I, I guess inexperience and young age. You know, I look at when I was 19 years old, and I was a college kid. By no means was I in the NHL. I can't imagine dealing with that pressure that you did. And you saying that just now makes complete sense because you're in a different country. You're 19 years old. You've just been traded for one of the greatest players in the world. Nobody's there really to take you under their wing. 
when you were with St. Louis, I don't think you really got like somebody that was there anybody that sat you down and said, this is how you play in the NHL. This is what you do. Or were you kind of left to fend for yourself? Well, when I went to the camp in St. Louis, um, I was fortunate enough to met uh, Peter Stastny, who's a, he's a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, he sat me down. He's from Slovakia. So, you know, we spoke the same language. So he sat me down and says, well, you want to make the team? This is what you got to do. Um, I'm going to talk to Mike. I'm going to tell him to put me with, put me on your as a center. And you're going to play a wing. So I says, okay, all you got to do is just drive to the net and keep a stick on the ice and I'll find you. And, and he did, you know, he's a, one of the best players I ever played with. And thanks to him, I made, I made as a 19 year old, I made the roster in the, in the San Louis. I don't know, you know, being drafted seventh round, nobody really expects you to nobody. make the team. Oh yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Really, really nobody. Like, you know, you're there just to, so, so they give the draft picks a chance to see how everything works out. And, you know, and thanks to him, he told me what to do, how to do it. And, he was actually the mentor to me, and so was Tony Twist. So, you know, Tony Twist helped me. He take me off the ice, and he helped me how to get stronger and all that stuff and off the ice. And Peter Stastny was kind of my mentor on the ice. So, um, But, again, that's being said, unfortunately it happened. I got traded from San Luis to L.A., and really, you know, the, the only person – Oh, I shouldn't say only person, but to try to help me out was Ray Ferraro. He was a very good guy, uh, very nice to me and all that. And he, but and again, I'm only again 20 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old playing in Los Angeles. It was tough. Oh, I was gonna say it's a recipe for disaster, especially in a city. Yeah. That and yeah. don't get me wrong, LA is a cool city. It's awesome, but it's also a vice. And you're 20 years oh. old. I mean, and we don't have to get into that, but I can imagine the distractions that you had to deal with were unreal. And I think on top of that, as we get further into this interview, the distractions for you compounded. It only seemed like they got more and more. But going back to L.A., the first game, you did make camp, and but unfortunately, you're scratched for the first game. It's you, Ray Ferraro, Steve McKenna, and Gary Galley. And I feel like it's a good and a bad situation in one sense. You're happy you get to the team and you're not getting sent down. But in another sense, you, you've got to be a little upset that you're scratched. Is that kind of mixed messages for you? Well, you know, you're 19 years old, so it's a tough league to play. And, you know, it's it's extremely tough to make the league and even tougher to stay there for 10, 15 years. So, you know, being a scratch, it's nowadays I, I look at backs as I wish I would have the brain uh, then what I am now, and I would understand, you know, it's a grind, and you got to stay positive and keep working through it, and and eventually wait for your chance. And once you get your chance, then you got to grab it by the hair and run with it. But again, I was maybe too impatient, and I want everything happen because it happened for me in St. Louis, and I wanted it to happen for me in L.A. But I just wasn't patient enough, and and at the end of the day, I might took a little bit. Granted, got a little upset, got a little, you know, my feeling hurt, and and it just went downhill from there. You ended up getting into the lineup, though, a couple games into the season and playing with Matt Johnson and Steve McKenna. How was your chemistry on the ice and off the ice with these guys? Well, off the ice, definitely good. And on the ice, you know, Stevie was a – Stevie was a – he used to be a defenseman, but they transferred him into a forward, which they need, uh, you know, powerful forward. And Moose, Matt Johnson – was one of the toughest guys in the league back then and so really what the team's probably looking for is get a little bit of energy when and so as an energy line so we just had to go in there keep it simple make sure they don't score on us and 
do our job. So be physical, and in in case you you gotta get and get your hands dirty, then Matt Johnson and Stevie wasn't afraid to do so. So I was just like, uh, uh, chemistry was good, you know. The the ice time, you know, I, I, if I recall, I mean, we might get two to five minutes a game. And as far as a 19 year old or 20 year old, that's not, uh, that's not enough. That's, you can't that, that's, that's not a lot. That's not a lot of ice. And, you know, if you go there and say every eight, nine shift and, you know, you're afraid to make mistakes, you squeeze in the stick too tight and it's hard to play. And, you know, and eventually you lose the confidence in yourself and then, you know, coaches losing confidence in you. And that's how you get out of the lineup. The Kings were coached at the time by Larry Robinson, I believe. What was your relationship like with Larry? Larry was a great guy. Larry was, again, Hall of Famer, one of the best defensemen in the league ever played a game, and good coach, good mentor. Uh, but again, as a coach, you're there to, you, in the National Hockey League, you're there to win. You're not there to develop. Uh, and that was back then. So, you know, everybody want, you want to win. You, your livelihood depends on wins and losses. And, you know, and, so you want to put the best possible lineup that gives you the chance to win. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I just wasn't part of it. It does sound like, though, you were still having a little bit of fun in L.A. I saw a great clipping about you in the Asbury Park Press newspaper that talked about how you and Steve McKenna used to take turns balancing the puck on your stick and then throwing it up to see who could throw the puck higher. But unfortunately, that was the last thing I saw about you with the L.A. Kings because a few days later, GM of the struggling Colorado Avalanche, Pierre Lacroix, makes a splash and decides to train his own son, Eric Lacroix, for you in a sixth-round pick in the 1999 draft. Do you remember where you were and how you found out and, and what was your reaction? You hadn't been with the Kings long, and I know, like you said, you're 20 years old. That's got to be a lot on you. You know, that's, you know, back then, we, you know, I had my own agent, and, you know, you talk with your agent because that's the closest friend you ever get a half especially when you're out of country so you know i talked to my agent maybe i complained to him you know this or that and obviously he uh he thought okay well let's uh let's call the la organization and gm and maybe requested a trade so i didn't even request a trade but eventually i got traded to uh, colorado i think i was i was on a beach or somewhere then i got a phone call and and says, yeah, you got traded to, uh, at first I thought it was a joke and I kind of hang up on Dave Taylor and I says, okay, well, I got to call back. He says, yeah, this is Dave Taylor again. And I go, wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you didn't expect it, it, you know, sometimes you, things happen for a reason, you know, was I happy? No, not really. Cause I did want to prove that I belong in the league and I want to prove LA that when they made that trade uh, from me from San Luis to LA, that it was a good move for them. And um, unfortunately it didn't happen. And, and, and Colorado was my next destination. So uh, all I had to do is just pack my stuff and move on to Colorado. So who initially contacted you from the avalanche? Who says hello to you and, 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 and kind of welcomes you to the team. Anybody? Yeah, quite frankly, I don't recall at all that, that part. I don't recall it. Uh, I remember first, uh, I don't even know actually where did I join them, like where they were, maybe that's a part that I kind of like a blackout. I don't recall that period at all, but the only thing I remember was uh, uh, Brian Trottier. Was, he was an assistant coach that time, and he was absolutely fantastic to me. So oh, was he? He, he, was just, he? he understood my situation. He just told me, that, you know, keep my head up 
work hard and wait for your turn to get into a lineup. And, and he was actually fantastic. Why do you think you get to this Colorado Avalanche team and, and the GM trading his own son? Did you ever hear what the reason behind the trade was? Was there scuttle in the locker room afterwards about people talking about? Uh, it's just kind of a strange thing. The guy trains his own son. You know what I mean? Well, I heard there was a rumors that there's, you know, a conflict of interest, you know, mm-hmm. GMs having his own son in the team. And, you know, but again, those are rumors and nothing, nothing uh, uh, was ever proven. So maybe there was a little conflict in the dressing room. And, you know, you have Peter Forsberg here, Joe Sackick, Adam Foote. You have, you know, Hall of Famers. So, oh you know, when the, when, the, when the Hall of Famers like that go and complain to the coach, maybe they did, I don't know. And, and says, okay, you better get rid of your kid. And and Eric already played in L.A. before then. So, he, uh, you know, he thought it was the best suit for him to go back. You also talked about your agent a few minutes ago. Who was your agent at this time? Well, I, were, I was represented by IMG organization, which is uh, Mike Barnett. And uh, uh, my uh, my agent was uh, Yuri Serha. He used to be a goalie in, in Toronto. So uh, that was my agent. Just curious, how did you hook up with those guys originally? Do you remember? Well, I played back home. I played in Europe. Uh, I played in Czech, and I played uh, for national team. And uh, and uh, once you're playing for a national team, you know you're gonna get some uh, interest from agents. And uh, Yuri, uh, who's who is a Czech guy, he's got his brother live back home in Czech. Uh, they approached me if I want to be represented uh, by their uh, by them, and I says, yeah, why not? And then you know it all came quickly, and then. You know, they represented you. Then I get into uh, being drafted into Western Hockey League and play a couple of years in Western Hockey League. And uh, it's just quickly. And that's all business of hockey, right? Right. You just kind of move up the ranks as you go. Exactly. And kind of helps you, you get up there. So back to Colorado. You land in Colorado. You head to your first practice. And Bob Hartley just bag skates you guys this day, it says in the, in the, uh, yeah. in the papers in Colorado. Yeah. I bet you probably only talked to Bob Hartley maybe five minutes, if that. But do you remember anything about him other than Brian Trottier? I, I, actually, I haven't talked to Bob Hartley at all. Not, so never once had once. a conversation with him? Not once. No. Wow. No, well. Not once. That, and, that's, and that's the thing, too. You know, I came there with first practice. You know, after the end of the practice, you know, Brian Trottier always took the guys who uh, were not in the lineup, and uh, he's got some instruction from the head coach. So we skated, we skated, and that's like I said. Brian told me just keep your head up and wait for your chance. And you know, it's practice number one, practice number two, practice number three. You know, game one, game two, game three, and still you didn't have a chance. That's uh, that was extremely frustrating, but um, I'm glad I had Brian to you know help me out there, and so was the guys. Like you know, the Joe Sakic and Peter Forsberg and Claude Lemieux, and they were all good. They you know, they they understood uh, how 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 it is how 19 or 20 year old kid who's being backskate every day and never get the chance to play not even one shift or one game, how frustrated it could be, and they uh, try to keep me uh, positive, but. Uh, it was tough. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. It's like you just traded for me, so clearly you want me, and now you're not even giving me an opportunity. Yeah, no, that's that's how I felt. You know, you, you whether whether and that's a, and that's what I was asking myself a question. Like, was I part of this trade just because uh, Eric Lacroix wants to be traded, or was I really part of their future? And that's obviously I wasn't, and so it just you know, I just moved on. 
after just a few practices with the Avalanche, you're set to play against the Nashville Predators, and you're a healthy scratch for this game. But this would have been one you remembered because at the time, your brother Jan Vopat was playing for the Predators. Yeah. Have you ever played against your brother up until this point? Were you looking forward to it? No, I haven't, and I and I did. I was very excited to play against him, but unfortunately, I, I was not able to. So uh, I never played against him in the National Hockey League. I played uh, I played with him. Hypothetically, hypothetically, I'm just going to ask this. The gloves yeah. come off. You guys are in the corner. You or Jan, which one wins? Well, me for sure. But <laughs> and and which one? Which one would have mom cheered for? Oh, mom would probably she. We would never tell her that. So that's okay. We'll keep that private. Then you can tell me off air. How about that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Days later, on November tenth, you're traded again for the second time this season. You become a member of the Chicago Blackhawks as a result of a trade that sent you to the Windy City along with sixth round pick for Hawks defenseman Cam Russell. Yep. You grew up in the Czech. A lot of guys tell me about how special it is to play for an original six. Yeah. I don't know if you really even grew up watching the National Hockey League. I mean, you grew no. up at a time, yeah, no. there was communism no. was still a thing. Did it matter no. to you at all wearing an original six crest? No, not really. No, uh, to me, it was just like an, another opportunity to actually crack the uh, National Hockey League and stay in it. And, you know, when I actually, I was extremely happy when I got traded there because, you know, I look at the lineup, I went through a lineup and I, on the paper, I bet you it was the toughest team that ever was assembled in the National Hockey League. They had Bob Probert, Reed, uh, Reed Simpson, Dennis Bonvi. Like, that team was extremely tough. And I said, well, you know, if I keep playing like I play in my junior league, which is, you know, physical, that this is this would be my ideal team. And, you know, and you know you have a good coaches. You have uh, uh, Dirk Graham. And uh, so... It was, again, I look at it as an opportunity for me to, to make the NHL, make an impact, and, and stay in National Hockey League for a long time. And Dirk Graham puts you in the lineup right away due to injuries to Alexi Jamnoff and Mark Jansen. So I feel like you're getting an opportunity here. The game was a 6-2 loss to the Maple Leafs, and it seemed that the team was struggling. During this game, Bob Probert and Eric Daze, who you uh, referred to a moment ago, Probert, were both benched for the entire second period. So what was the state of the Chicago Blackhawks? I know you're excited to be there, and they're a tough team, but how is the team doing overall in the league? Well, not, well obviously, as, as you mentioned, we lost a game of 6-2. So when you have, when you have you know, uh, such players like Bob, Bobby and, and Dennis and Reed and guys like that in the lineup, well, obviously you're not going to win a lot of games. Right. So And eventually, and eventually down the road, that's what caught – that's what uh, – uh, Dirk Graham got fired because of it, right? Because the lack of uh, lack of wins, and you know, when you have a tough lineup, yes, you're going to be intimidating, you're going to be uh, uh, tough to play against. But eventually, you have to put the pucks in the net, and we were un- unable to do so. Penalty minutes don't win games, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. Makes it exciting, but doesn't win games. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So, did you? Were you? I mean, you've been traded around a little bit. But you've, at this point, kind of gotten a little bit of a reputation around the league. Was there anybody on the Chicago Blackhawks that you knew from junior or that you were familiar with from the minors that, that maybe helped make the adjustment a little bit easier for you? No, I, uh, I didn't know anybody, actually, on, on the Chicago Blackhawks uh, team. But, again, there was a, a younger, there was a younger uh, generation there, too. There was Chad Kilger, and there was, uh, oh, there was a, quite a few young players. So, they, uh, you know, they try to help me out. They mm-hmm. know how it felt. 
you know, obviously, again, young and, you know, being traded twice in a couple weeks. And, you know, at least at least I was able to uh, uh, get in the lineup right away and play play a couple games for them and see how it is. And But, but unfortunately, that wasn't in the end of uh, me getting traded. And I can't believe this. On November 17th, you're going to get a second <laughs> opportunity to play against your brother, Jan. You yeah. even make it to the Nashville arena. Only to find yeah. out you've been traded again. After actually, there was actually uh, our pregame skate. Uh, we were having a pregame skate, and actually, I was just talking to my brother about uh, uh, five minutes earlier, and he, he was watching us and watching us, and all of a sudden, you know, I get a call uh, tap on the shoulder from uh, Savvy and says, uh, "Coach wants to see." You. I go, "Oh, this is good." So I got off the ice and uh, you know, went to uh, uh, Dirk's uh, office and told me. Uh, uh, that I got traded again to Philadelphia. Yeah, I can ask him, I remember this like it happened yesterday. I says, are you kidding me? He says, well, I wish I was, but no, this is, uh, unfortunately, this is what happened. We just traded you to, to Philly, and you need to join him in Pittsburgh today. You're playing in Pittsburgh. I almost started crying because I, I don't know what, I didn't know how to feel, like what the thing I, I don't know. I wanted to actually quit hockey. That's how I felt at the moment. I didn't even want to join the team. Quite frankly, I I, uh, I broke down in Dirk Graham's office. So it just wasn't it wasn't an easy time for me and you know for a young player. And it's just uh, it wasn't a good time for me. And this is a credit to how strong you are as a person. How do you pick yourself back up? I mean, you wanted to quit, and you didn't. You got on the plane. You got over to. I mean, that's not easy for a young kid. How did you do that? Well, I I ask myself that question again. If I could, I I don't know the answer. I you know I realize okay, well maybe this is like I always think everything happens for a reason. So when I got traded to Philly, I go okay. Well, then I look at their lineup. Just Eric Lindros, Rod Brindamore, Mark Recchi. Hey, I might have a chance to win the cup. So you know, and especially when you're gonna go to. Pittsburgh and wow, and you're gonna play against Mayor Lemieux, Yermer Jagger. I go, oh my God, okay. So I jump on the plane, got to Pittsburgh, and I was in the lineup. I make the lineup, and I did best as I could. You were quoted in the Philadelphia Inquirer as saying, "Who got traded more teams in one month than me?" At least I'm a better trivia question now. <laughs> I can't believe how positive you are. I mean, even with this. Uh, the situation you've bounced to four teams in 20 days yeah and and i'm just really impressed because i feel like you could look at it two ways everybody wants me or nobody wants me yeah and and it it it, i I don't know it just was really interesting to me and and this was around a time where bobby clark was the gm of the philadelphia flyers and you were traded for mike manalek who was a goal scorer and at the time bobby clark had said he wanted to get more he wanted to get faster. He wanted to get quicker. Yeah. And with this trade, it kind of kicks off a little bit of a change to the Flyers where they started kind of go back to that Broad Street bullies mentality. Yeah. What did you think about that? You've always had a little bit of an edge on your shoulder and played with a chip on your shoulder. Uh, how did you feel about playing for a team? Because now you've, you know, you were on the Hawks. They were a tough team. You were on Colorado Avalanche. They had some passers and some yeah. goal scorers. Where did you best fit in? Did you think that would be the Philadelphia Flyers? With my style, yes. They again, they were fast. You know, when I look at Eric Lindros, how how dominant he was in that time, it it was mind-boggling. Like he could 
beat you physically. He could win the game by himself. He was a, such a force on that team and such a good leader that I says, well, if doesn't this doesn't work out for me, then there's no place for me at all in this league. And I thought, you know, if I, you know, can be physical, if I can uh, do my job, which is, that's all, be, be physical. You don't really have to fight. But eventually, if you eventually if you drop your gloves, then you got to do it. You got to do what you got to do to stay in the lineup. And you know, I did that in the first year. And and talking to Paul Holmgren after after the season, he told me I did a pretty good job. And yeah, that's. And again, it didn't work out after all anyway. But I thought I did as best as I could uh, under the circumstances. You know, from being wanted to quit hockey, then move on to Philadelphia. Uh, and like I always said, it could, you could use that tw- two ways. Whether the, being a traded three times or four times use you, or you can use it as a motivation and make, you, make, make yourself stronger as a player. And I try to do that. Keith Jones, to me, was like my brother. He was unbelievable. So was Eric Lindros. They helped me tremendously. Um, and I cannot thank him enough. Um, for the transition from being traded three times to uh, make Philadelphia my home for that year. You're 19 years old. You're in a foreign country. As Roman said, you really don't have any friends. You have your agent. And I guess he's a friend, but he's also kind of working for you. So is he really a friend? You've been bounced around, you've been traded, you break down in your coach's office, and then 24 hours later, you get shipped off? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, less than actually 24 hours, he was playing in a game, which we're going to pick up in part two of our interview. I just can't get over that, and and I just appreciate that Roman was so honest and so truthful. He was a young kid in L.A., he was having fun, he gets traded, and it just taking us along for the of ride of like, hey, look, I broke down, I didn't, I wanted to quit hockey right then and there. I'm glad he shared that, and I think a lot of people can learn from his story. So I'm really glad that he came on board. And like I said before in the introduction, when you go back and you read, some people say that Roman underperformed. But after hearing all that, did he really underperform? When I was 19 years old, I was a college kid. If I failed a test, it was like the end of the world. I remember trying to get my first job and not getting callbacks and thinking I was a failure. This guy had been traded four times in 20 days and still came back in the National Hockey League and still played and then went on to continue to play professional hockey. I think that speaks to his character. So I'm really glad he came on the show during part two. We get into Eric Lindros. We talk more Philadelphia Flyers stuff. If you're a Flyers fan, you'll love it. Talks about living in the area, stuff like that. In the meantime, please don't forget to follow us on social media at Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter. You want to do something nice, please consider leaving us a five-star review or telling a friend about the show. We appreciate all the feedback we can get. And I do want to thank everybody, side note, as I wrap this up, for all the support that they've given the show. I can't believe how many downloads we're getting and how you know it's so neat to see it tweeted out there and stuff like that. So I really appreciate people that do that and, and telling friends. And I also really appreciate the emails I'm getting from people that say, hey, I heard your podcast. We even had somebody from like Indonesia email me last week. I was blown away. And uh, so thanks for that, guys. Anyways, that's enough for me. Enjoy your week. We'll be back on Thursday at 8 a.m. for part two of our interview with Roman Vopot.